You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. We are brought to you by my bookie today. I'll tell you more about them. Tomorrow, I will go to my bookie and pick every game. I promise not to skip one. I've skipped one the last two weeks because there hasn't been a line at my bookie, so I will double-check that, my error. Um, But I definitely would have called that Packers-Vikings tie two weeks ago if I would have talked about it. No doubt in my mind. Thursday, that means Mike Sando. Absolutely one of my favorite shows going. We have a blast. I feel like Mike and I can talk for hours. We trim it a little short, talk to you about, about 20 minutes, half an hour or so. Many topics to discuss. Mr. Sando, how are you today? Doing great. Really looking forward to week four. And we've got a great game on the Thursday night or two. So Yeah, better. I want to talk I want to finish the show just kind of talking about that one a little bit too. I don't want to ignore it. I did discuss it a little bit earlier in the week. Uh Sage gave his his thoughts on the Vikings too on Tuesday. He's dialed in with them. You wrote an article about Lev Bell early this week for ESPN.com. And I'm obviously close to the situation too. I'll be down at the facility in a couple hours here. What are you hearing? What are your thoughts on the whole subject? Yeah, I think that, I mean, what I'm hearing from teams is, you know, the uh, what the Steelers can get in return doesn't even come close to approximating what we would think his value would be. And that's just more a, mm-hmm. a function of the situation. It's not really a, it, it partly has to do with Le'Veon Bell. I think people are a little, you know, put off by uh, such a strong, admitted emphasis on, hey, protect myself, look out for myself, get the most money. You know, I don't think that's helping them. But I think the reality is under the rules, you can't do a new deal with them until after the season. So, you know, if you're if you're thinking about giving up a pick, you really have to take that into consideration. And so you got a bunch of teams that some of them overvalue picks. They think every pick's going to be a Hall of Famer, right? Until you actually pick the guy and he's terrible. But uh, but you know, there's a lot of impediments to doing a deal is is basically the bottom line. Yeah, I don't know that I've talked enough in my audience about this situation. But for those of you that don't understand, the Steelers are not going to get anything like the Khalil Mack deal. I mean, maybe they're similar players. I think Mack's better at what he does than Bell. But because of what Mike's saying here, they're not allowed. I mean, they are not allowed to, to extend Bell. So he his contract is going to expire after the year. They could franchise him for a third straight year, and I did some research on this yesterday. That would make him a top five player, not at his position, in the league. He'd be making like Aaron Rodgers money. They could transition tag him, which, you know, and I also think what you could do is say, Lev, we're trading for you. We're going to tag you, which you hate, the minute the season ends or as soon as we can just so we have time to talk to you exclusively to resign you. But in the end, they can't give up multiple firsts or great assets for a guy they might only be renting for a couple of weeks. And, and remember, especially because Le'Veon Bell's number one priority is to maximize his value. So if you're acquiring him, you're, you're basically looking at a rental. He's not going to just give, give you the wink-wink handshake deal and, and take the discount. He wants max value, and he's so interested in getting max value that he's willing to give away you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars every week by not grand playing for the Steelers. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty darn determined. I mean, I think you know, history shows almost all the guys who have big salaries and are holding out 
They report. That's why I think the Raiders were crazy for trading Khalil Mack. He would have shown up. Right. He would have played for the thirteen point eight million or whatever it was. You can't convince me otherwise. Yeah. And, and you know, Le- Le'Veon Bell's the exception. He's actually willing to miss these games, and no one believed he would. And that's why his his teammates were so mad at him. They thought, "What are you doing?" Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. And and that's what's kind of happened. And I basically know this, and I'll know better in the next day or two. But I think the Steelers have had enough, and yes, they're in it to win it, and you would think, you know, Bell for the last month or two or whatever would be worth more than a third-round pick if you're trying to win the Super Bowl, but I think that Bell has lost the locker room, and for the Steelers, now it's just time to move on. And if that's the case, then you'd rather have a third-round pick for Bell now than the comp yeah. pick you get for him. I, but still, it's not much. See, You're not getting see, much. See, so I, I agree that on paper, you and I could look at that and say, hey, if it's a third, I'd much rather have it be a third in 2019 as opposed to 2020 when, by the way, if we sign a bunch of people in free agency, not that the Steelers usually do, but if they did, they could lose out on um, the comp pick, right? So you're not guaranteed that 2020 comp pick unless you lose more quality free agents than you sign. So right. there is some risk hey, here. But I, I apologize for yeah. interjecting. Yeah. Plus, not only is it a year early, but it could be an early third if it's the Jets or the Colts or somebody like that as opposed to the end of the round third in the comp. Yes. But yep. it's still and not so, wonderful. Right. So, the, so here's the question, though. You're not dealing with... You're not dealing with a random economist at a think tank who can tell you that, hey, take the value now as opposed to take the sure value now, the pick in hand in 19 versus the who knows pick in 20. But that's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a Steelers organization that believes very much in how we do things, mm-hmm. right? The process. And they're looking at every other player that's going to come down the line in the future. And they've gone this far. If you're not going to get that much, to me, if you're the Steelers, show them how we do business. You know what? We we stand by the fact that we made a good faith offer, which, by the way, everyone in the league thinks that Bell should have taken. And agents think, I mean, I, I have my notes from way before he started the holdout last year. People thought he was crazy for turning yeah. down what he was going to get. Now, he wasn't crazy because Todd Gurley got that type of deal. So I'm not saying Le'Veon Bell's wrong. I mean... That that girly deal shows him what the market is. He's just restricted in what he can do. And back to the point of the Steelers, I don't necessarily see them as a team that's going to say, hey, that's so much more value to us that it's worth sacrificing our principles. I could see them just saying, you know what, you want to do it this way? We'll, we'll just, you just go to free agency, you'll loot, we won't pay you a dime, and, uh, you know, we'll take our comp pick and move on. You were the wrong party here. I could see that. Yeah, for sure. And, they kind of did the same thing with Santonio Holmes. It seems like a long time ago, but it really wasn't. And it's basically the same people making the decisions here. You know, Mr. Colbert, you know, the, the Roonies, that, hey, he was in the height of his powers. We were tired of his shenanigans. Ship him off for a fifth-round pick. See ya. I mean, they're not afraid to do those type of things. They're not you know, worried about selling seats or job security. I mean, it's quite the unique situation. And... You know, the other thing about it is, I I mean, I I don't know. I I mean, he's a really good player, and there's certainly the argument, why don't you just keep him and make nice of them for a couple months and try to win? Well, 
what's making nice with them? What are you going right. to do? Give them more money? I mean, you know, I think the making nice of it, the, there's no option other than to pay him. What, what's going to make him come in? But, yeah. I think you're betting you're on right. the fact that he'll come in at a certain point. But now if he comes in, it's almost uncomfortable, you know? Oh, I think it is. I, I think the locker room doesn't welcome him back with open arms. And I think the the other aspect that's missed here, though, is, well, first of all, he's in order to make more money, he's leaving $850,000 on the table every week. But by doing so, he gives the Steelers an extra $850,000 every week of cap space. And they had a little bit, much more than they usually did when the season opened. So if they trade him, I think everyone's looking at like, well, he's not worth a third round pick. But maybe they would get a player that has some contract to him, has some pedigree. It doesn't have to be player for pick, you know. All of a sudden, Steeler fans are like, well, if you're going to give me a linebacker that can run, okay. Absolutely. See, now you're talking, and this right. was a conversation I had a couple of days ago with a guy from a team who actually, you know, maybe could use a running back, but doesn't want to mess with all that's going on with Bell, was saying that that's if he said specifically regarding the Steelers, get a piece for your defense. You know, mm-hmm. somebody with range on the back seven. <laughs> that you need to help in coverage at this point to, to really improve your chances and improve your team. I think, you know, the best teams are the most honest and truthful with themselves in evaluating their own talent. Where are we weak at? And look, they're way better with Le'Veon Bell, but this marriage just isn't working out. They, they've got Ben Roethlisberger. They've got Antonio Brown. They've got a decent back who doesn't come close to doing all the things Bell does, but is a good enough running back um, in Connor. And so what do you need? You need... You need linebackers with range, right? Or even a safety with range. That, sure. Corner. I wondered about corner. an Earl Thomas thing or something. I, I right. don't know that they're. that's a Steeler-type move. But I think if you were a Steeler fan, and look, Seattle's not going to want Le'Veon Bell. I mean, they're trying to get out of unhappy contract people. And so they <laughs> right. drafted a running back in the first round, and they have Chris Carson. So they're the wrong team. But, you know, get some type of a player like that in return, then you feel like, Hey, that helps us now. This makes us a better championship contender now. So I would love that type of deal for them. Yeah. And they can, if you get bell off the books, you could afford a 10, 12 million a year veteran or somebody that's maybe a little overpriced on a losing rebuilding team that they want to get out from his contract. And you could use them for the stretch run. I want to move on from this, but I just think it is really interesting. And no one talks about a player for player type of deal. Um, but the couple teams I think that at least should have some interest are the Bucks, the Colts, the Jets, the Bills. And those last three teams just have so much cap space, especially next year, that maybe they could afford to overspend on a guy like Bell. And if you have Allen or Darnold or, you know, a, a freshman, you know, true, a rookie quarterback type guy, Bell would be a nice safety blanket. Absolutely. Now you you have to ask yourself, where are these teams in their development? I think the Bucks right now, as much as that would be an awesome piece to add, they're trying to make their locker room less complicated. Yes. You know, it seems to me like they've sort of got the vibe right this year. You know, and so there's a chemistry balance there that I think probably takes them out of doing it. Um, but good thought. The other teams are sort of teams that are retooling earlier in their development, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that a good fit for, I suppose if you sign them for the long term with Andrew Luck, that's awesome. It just doesn't feel like that's consistent with anything that Chris Ballard has done. Everything that Chris Agreed. Ballard has done has been like for four years for now, you know? Right, right, right. And so um, the, the Jets are interesting because 
it is, I know it's New Jersey, but it is New York. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, a flashy town and move and they, they went up and got Darnold and you've got this coach and GM who've been there a little while, the clock's ticking and they're trying to have it as optimistic as possible for the future. So, you know, and I'm sure the cap flexibility, what if you were to pay him and figure he's going to be good for the next three years, somebody you can really build around and pair with Sam Darnold. Um, I do think you have to ask yourself, though, is, hey, is what Le'Veon Bell is projecting as most important to him, is that what we want our team? And I, I, I think, you know, that's something teams are not sure of. Yeah, and I've been saying for a while, I think he's a declining player. I think the best Le'Veon Bell was the end of the 2016 season, and with the unbelievable wear and tear on his body, I don't think the burst is there uh, is to the same degree. I think he's 90%, and I think that he peaked a while ago and is now declining. And oh, by the way, he hasn't played football in a real long time, and he's on a jet ski. I mean, how long, how, how long until he's useful for you? you know, and he's had a three-game suspension already. Right, so he's one more slip up away from missing more time. I agree. There's nothing about. I know he's special player, can line up anywhere, run routes like a wide receiver. He's awesome. But you know, where is the research that says, hey, the smart move is to get a running back in his fifth or sixth year and pay him a ton of money? I mean, come on, is that anything consistent with the way, with what we're learning about football and and (laughs) where to spend the money? It just doesn't seem like it to me. And he's played a historic number of snaps in touches over the last couple of years. Oh, by the way. Um, yes. I, I want to talk to everyone about my bookie. I've talked to you guys about them a lot. Like I said, tomorrow I'm going to go to my bookie and we are going to pick every game. But in the meantime, this is pretty crazy because my bookie has been so good to everyone. They are slammed with new betters and they want to give everyone the best possible service they possibly can. So because they're so busy now, if you wait until after 7 o'clock Eastern to make a deposit, they'll give you an extra 25 bucks on any deposit over 100 and they're already matching your money dollar for dollar to begin with. You have to use our promo code LOCKEDON25. It used to be locked on, now it's LOCKEDON25. That's how you activate that offer. So you go to mybookie.com, use the LOCKEDON25 activation code, and if you go after 7 o'clock p.m., they throw an extra 25 bucks on top just for the heck of it. So why wouldn't you do that? I mean, it's free money. You, you make all the bets, listen to our show on Friday, and you can figure out who to, who to be you know, putting your bucks down on. So I would only recommend a service that's been good to me, to my listeners, and my bookie absolutely has been. So use our promo code LOCKEDON25. All right, Mike. Well, let's talk about the Steelers' upcoming opponent, big Sunday night game. Ravens are coming to town, and they look pretty good. I mean, I think the offense is noticeably better. You mentioned to me their red zone. They're perfect in the red zone in terms of touchdown conversion. What do you think of these guys? Well, the first game against Buffalo, you would have thought you just throw it out. But right. then Buffalo beats Minnesota, so I don't know what you can throw out. But So, hey, I'm going to ask you this. So who do you think has the best offenses in the last almost 20 years? I mean, you'd think of the Patriots of 07. Yes. You could, you'd think of a number of Peyton Manning teams, right? I mean, a couple Bronco more year. Brady teams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Greatest show on turf. The, the, yeah, the Ravens are the only team since at least 2001 to be 100% uh, in your red zone touchdown percentage through three games. And it's not like they've got two drives. they got 12. Okay. The, you know, that is unbelievable 
um, to me that they would be 12 for 12 touchdowns in the red zone. Um, and still people really aren't, I don't think, buying it. I mean, I do a column every week. I posted today in E plus through the ESPN.com app talking to people in the league, coaches, evaluators, and all three out of three picked the Steelers to win this game. And one of them made sort of a comment about not trusting Flacco. And I'm like, I agree. I mean, that's how I would feel coming to the season, but Flacco's got half as many picks this year as Roethlisberger, right? I mean, right. 12 He's for played 12 well in the red zone. I mean, I think they played decently now. You know, visitors going to AFC North teams are two and thirteen over the last five years going to Pittsburgh. So mm-hmm. I think the Steelers probably win the game, but I'm a, I'm at least intrigued by some of the vital signs with the Ravens' offense, and I certainly think it's better than it was last year. Much, I mean, it was noticeably at every position, including quarterback. I've been told that Flacco is healthier this year. I'm sure the drafting of Lamar Jackson lit a little bit of a fire under him. Not that he didn't work hard before that. I mean, I know, Joe, I, I don't know if you know this, but I helped recruit him to Pitt way back when. Um, ah. <laughs> yeah, from Audubon High School in New Jersey when he was 16 years old. Um, you mentioned the, the numbers. You know, the, the Steelers against the AFC North at home has been very, very strong. Their primetime games have been very, very strong. The Ben home road splits have been very, very strong. And I do that Steelers show, and my co-host said, Matt, do you realize who the top-ranked defense in the league is? I'm like, um, I don't know, the Rams? And he's like, no, it's the Ravens. The Ravens right now are number one in yards allowed. And I immediately said, I don't buy it. I mean, like, not that they're a bad defense, but I don't think it's a great defense, and I think it was a better defense last year. Yeah. We've got an ESPN's efficiency metric, which is a little more advanced than yards allowed. It has them yeah. fourth, so okay. it has them, in, has them in the fourth. And if you just look at you know, points allowed right now, they're fifth. So I think we would say they're a top 10 defense is conservative, at least saying. And, and what do you expect? They've always been a top 10 defense, it seems like. I think yeah. they're pretty good. They're always great on special teams. They're good on defense. But I also read some stats that Roethlisberger has played against non-Jimmy Smith Ravens defenses three times, and him and Antonio Brown have unworldly numbers when Jimmy Smith doesn't play. And I think that's a big deal. Ah. And I also don't think they rush the passer as well as their rep leads you to believe. Yep, and then you take them on the road, you know, put them at Pittsburgh. And I also feel like, you know, I don't... I also feel like that win against Tampa was really good for the Steelers. I Mm -hmm. I think they can get a bump out of it. So I'm kind of, if if I'm a Steeler fan, I'm I'm relieved after that. And I'm a little excited about, okay, now we can get it going. I still have the concerns on, uh, you know, defense. I think those are real and those could cost them in the end. I mean, if they had to play the Chiefs every week, it would be, you know, they'd be in a shootout every week. Um, And that's unlike some of the Steeler teams of the past. But remember, they were in a shootout with the Jaguars. (laughs) Right, right. So their defense is not what it was. I mean, we can talk about whether or not the Ravens are really a top five defense, but we know the Steelers aren't. Exactly. It's a it's a different. This is an important game for them at home. I feel like I think it was an offensive coordinator put it to me. You know, the Jaguars took away. They revoked the Steelers toughness card last year. Right. Yes. Steelers were always the tough team. Well, the Ravens are sort of the, you know, one of those teams that has a claim to that toughness mantle, too. And so I think it's important for the Steelers that they don't get, they're not losing at home to the Jaguars' and Ravens' of the 
I don't know if I pluralize those right, but the right, you know, those types of teams that sort of want to be what Pittsburgh's always been the bully and the Ravens are that type of a team. So I think it's an important game at home for the Steelers to win. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it really would get them on back on the right path if they do get this win, no matter how it happens. So Mike on September 27th, a little afternoon Eastern, we all knew that Miami going to New England, if the Dolphins win, they would have a three-game lead in the East over the Pats, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did not know that. You know, and I, I give it to Adam Gase because, yeah. uh, you know, he, he believed that, you know, sort of getting the locker room right, getting the chemistry right, getting, you know, the specific types of players he wanted catching passes from, from his offense, that they would have a bump from that. And I think you have to say that they have. They have had that bump. Now, you know, they've got a bunch of other things that are working in their favor, and they've earned it, but I think they're second in the league. They've had nine drives start in opponent territory, you know. Wow. Um, That's a lot. So what happens when you play the Patriots and Tom Brady just doesn't turn it over? Do you get some of those, you know, short fields? I don't feel like the the Dolphins are a well-oiled machine offensively. I think they've done some really nice things, hitting the big plays. They've had trick plays. Their defense is playing well. So that is, to me, the the thing I'm really interested in seeing is, does this defense become just the latest defense to take advantage of a Patriots offense that seems to be really struggling and limited, needing a slot receiver, needing Edelman back, having some injury issues, not having the, the dynamic running back you know, who can make extra yards after the catch like they've had in the past when Deion Lewis was there. So if the, I think there's a, there is a chance that the Dolphins go into Foxborough and make it a tough game for the Patriots offense. We all know the Patriots could win 75 to nothing. No one would be shocked, right? I mean, that we have to allow for that mm-hmm. possibility, but I'm not seeing it from what we've seen in the game so far. If I'm a Dolphins fan, I'm not going to be crushed if they lose there. Look, the Patriots always win at home, right? But I feel like I've got a chance. Yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree, and I've been saying this since before the season, that I'm still very much a Tannehill and Gase supporter, and like the Ravens, they haven't had the most brutal slate of games, but they've been very impressive. I think the coaching is absolutely shining through, and the thing I've really noticed about the offense, all of a sudden, at every skill position, including quarterback, they're very fast. You know, Drake, Gasecki. Wilson, all these receivers that can run, and you look at the Patriots D, they're slow. Yeah, Patriot, no doubt. Now, uh, while I am impressed by the Dolphins, so they beat a Titans team that lost their starting quarterback, left tackle, and number one receiving option, Delaney <laughs> Walker, during the game, and they barely won. Right. <laughs> they played the Jet. They they you know were in control, but some nail biting moments against Sam Darnold in his second start. And then they play the Raiders, who just find a way to lose every week, you know, and and found a way to lose this game. Now, I give the Dolphins credit, but this is, to me, the next two games, they're at New England, at Cincy. If they're competitive and win one of them, hey, then then it really validates everything. If they lose by two touchdowns in both, then they sort of still could be who we think they are, just with a little bit better mojo. Yeah, and one little more notes on the Pats. You watch lately, no one's afraid of anybody but Gronkowski. I've never seen a tight end 
doubled like he's a punt gunner to the degree of Gronk the last <laughs> couple of weeks. I mean, it's, and they're putting two defensive backs on him, a corner and a safety by the Lions all over him. And they don't fear anybody else. And, and they kind of put a lot of attention to James White on passing downs. But other than that, there is no fear of anybody. Yep. And But I get the feeling that Sony Michelle will start to kind of round into form and Gordon will be the cooks that runs fast down the sidelines. And most importantly, when Edelman returns, the timing and option routes will be back. I don't have a lot of worries about this offense long term. I'm with you. You know, I think in the past, in in the past, they were dynamic enough in other positions, especially running back to where um, if they just had Gronk or Edelman, they were fine. And now mm-hmm. it almost feels like they need both. <laughs> and yeah. now maybe Sonny Michelle comes along and beca- and fills that void, then it may change. I think that's what they anticipated. You know they're extremely well coached. They're going to improve. They're going to develop some of their rookies. Uh, you know, a concern going into the year. I can't take credit for it, but it was just one of my, you know, one of my personnel guys I talked to that I trust a lot just said, Bill Belichick does a better job than anyone in the league of of managing injury-prone players. But he said he may have outdone himself this year. This evaluator thought that they just had too many guys that had injury question marks Mm -hmm. and that it was going to catch up to them. And you can see throughout their roster that is an issue. Then you throw in the Edelman suspension. um, It has made it be tough sledding for them. I do think that they will come along, um, but they're still, you know, they're – What's to say Gronk's not going to be banged up late in the year? I mean, oh. you know, you know what I mean. There's just enough. There's enough question marks with him that I just don't. I don't pencil him in quite for the Super Bowl. Right, and they just lost Burkhead. They just lost Bentley, who's a pretty good-looking young linebacker. Speaking of injuries, Jimmy G goes down out for the year. True or false? The Niners are now in conversation to have a top five overall pick. Not uh, true. You know, I, I, I don't think that the I don't see I don't think they were a contender with Garoppolo. I think it was exciting for them to have a young quarterback, but um, you know, I think that was really overblown. And I and you know, people not saying, in the wow. NFC. It, you know, pe- people are like, "Oh, Garoppolo's out." That opens it up for Seattle to be the second team in the division. I'm like, they may have been anyway. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's a long season. Let's mm-hmm. see how these guys do over the course of the year. But the double blow of losing McKinnon and losing. Um, Garoppolo makes it tough, even though I think they have a really great play caller and Kyle Shannon, he'll get the most out of what they've got. It, to me, it's just too, it's just too hard. I mean, it's unlikely the backup quarterback is going to be anything but a, you know, but a downgrade. And then bigger to me, the bigger question, Matt, is are you worried about Garoppolo? He's had three chances to play, and he made it two games once and got hurt. He made it three games another time and got hurt. Not he didn't even make it three games. Um, he's been hurt in the first few games, two out of the three times he had a chance to start. Yeah, that's a great point, and I didn't think he looked great this season when he was healthy, and I thought he looked better a year ago. Um, last notes on the Niners, though, is I'm with you. I I said if they were in the AFC, maybe I could see them being a wild card team. And the NFC, no, I could probably come up with eight teams preseason I thought were better than them. But I still think the organization was very much going the right direction. And what I kept saying was I might pick them to be a playoff team a year from now. And if I think about it, and you get McKinnon and Garoppolo and a top five pick and another big power free agents, they might be they might benefit in the long term from a rough year. You know, two steps back to take three steps forward. 
Well, definitely, you know, as an organization, this now buys John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan additional time. Remember, they signed like 50-year contracts, wasn't it? <laughs> it was right, like right. six-year deals. I think they're seven. So the organization, the organization already said with these two guys, hey, look, we've been turning it over too many times. I mean, this has been a mess. We went from, you know, Harbaugh, Tom Sula, you know, bulky out, uh, all kinds of changes. They said, you know what, organizational stability is what we need. So we're going to commit to well. Now, you know, you lose your quarterback to an injury that's beyond the control of the GM and the coach. It's like it buys you even more time. It, you know, it makes this season, you're not really measured by your record this season. And you certainly weren't last year when you didn't even have a quarterback. So it's almost a couple years for them to try to develop the rest of their roster for Kyle Shanahan to try to develop players. I mean, he's a big believer in trying to keep guys in your system long enough that mm-hmm. they can actually grow. I think, you know, he feels like there's way too many young players in the league who wash out because the coaching chef's staff changes. They never get a chance to, to develop. So now you have that chance. You know, you're going to, you're going to have, a, you have an organization that's committed to these guys for a long time. Like I said, they're not going to be measured off of their record this year. Maybe the clock starts ticking on them next year. Very well said. And I am interested to see what sort of magician, is Shanahan with lesser cards in his hand as an offensive play caller. But we're going to take a super quick break, and then we're going to come back, break down tonight's game quickly, and then we'll be on our way. We'll be right back here in a moment. All right. Tonight we got kind of a heavyweight fight. And by I hate saying that, but boy, did the, the Vikes overlook the Bills last week. And, and Sage was on <laughs> on Tuesday and said something along the lines of, Guys like Cook and a couple of their sort of injured, sort of not, not guys probably could have played Sunday, but they held him out thinking, ah, we'll beat the Bills. Let's keep him fresh for the, the big one that might have playoff implications in the NFC tonight. Well, that didn't quite work out. Oh man! Wow! They must have watched the Bills. They must have watched the Bills' first two games or something, because I would have been right there with them. I'd be like, yeah. hey, you know. Uh, Hey, Kirk Cousins, why don't you take a vacation? You know, why don't you go fishing this weekend? <laughs> we <All> got right. <laughs> this. Um, so, you know, more power to the Bills. It was hilarious. The Bills, did you see the Bills tweeted out a picture of our ESPN game picker? You know, that grid yes. where it's got like all those, all the, all the TV people. Um, and then it has like the logo of the team and everybody picked the Vikings. They put it out there. And I was like, hey, where were you a week before when everyone picked against you? And, and, and we're right, you know, but I, you got to tip your hat. You got to tip your hat. That was an awesome victory, really a needed victory for the Bills. But, man, raising questions about the Vikings, I, I they have to hope that that's what it was. I just don't think it's a good sign when you lose to a bad team at home by a lot. And, and not only that, you never started to come back in the game. I mean, what does yeah. that say about you? I know. And to read the tea leaves... I also think Cousins is a very unstable quarterback to count on, especially behind what I think is one of the worst offensive lines in the league. We had Mike Renner on last yesterday, and the Vikings were in the bottom five PFFO lines, which I think is where they belong. I know Mike Lombardi's got a big theory that bad O lines don't travel well, and you got to block Sue and Darnold, Donald and you know Brockers and those guys tonight. And this is probably looking too much into things, but what's going on with Everson, Everson Griffin and his mental situation right now has to have a ramifications on the team. It wasn't long ago that your great yeah. offensive line coach passed away. It just seems like 
What's the foundation yeah. rate? It just doesn't seem like their year, you know? Yeah. Well, I was worried for them going into the year because of all the changes that you had to make. So you, you had this, you sort of captured lightning in a bottle with Case Keenum. Um, so, but you, you made a decision to move, who moves on from your quarterback after he plays really great and you're 13 and three, right? So there's a disruption there. You're bringing in Kirk Cousins, paying him a a ton of money. So now there's pressure on Cousins. He's always been that guy who was a fourth round pick, um, you you know, the nice story and, and didn't have the pressure on him. Whatever he did was kind of a bonus. Well, now the pressure's on you. Not only that, then you bring in an offensive coordinator from the outside. Everyone has to learn a new system. So that's sort of another strike to me against you, another sort of thing of uncertainty. The offensive line, by the way, was made to look better than it was because Case Keenum was great in the pocket and and unflappable and moved around and bought time. He was a really good at making a bad line look okay. Then, like you said, the tragic passing of Tony Sperano. Anyone will tell you, if you were to say rank the three or four most important positions on a coaching staff, O line is in the top three or four every time. You know, no, you're no. going to say obviously beyond the head coach, you're going to get to coordinators, and it's always going to be that offensive line coach. For for most people, is going to be your next guy, and so you're already uh, that that's sort of a lot of strikes against you. Now, Everson Griffin, you know, probably would be considered your best pass rusher, right? I mean, yeah, well, veteran, what's, what's really a leader? Yeah, what's it? What does every defense need? Obviously, is a pass rush, but I mean the Mike Zimmer defense. You got to get pressure from the front four, right? No <laughs> doubt. That's part of the deal. So that's been a premium for them. That's why they signed Sheldon Richardson. So you're right. That's a lot of things working against them early. You go now, have your confidence maybe shaken a little at home against Buffalo. Now you're going to go at at the Rams on a short week. Um, you know, I think they really need to take advantage of those corners being out. A big game from Cousins would be huge. I felt coming out of week one or whenever did they. Yeah, was it week one they played the Packers? The Vikings played the Packers, was it? Was that was it, week two. Was it was the tie. Week yeah. two. I thought it was a big deal that Kirk Cousins showed up and brought him back from behind. No doubt. We talked about that last week. It's like, hey, here's a tier three quarterback in a lot of people's eyes. He sort of played like a one or two. Awesome. Well, now he sort of played like a four. What are you going to get from this guy every week? What are you going to get right now when you got to win a game, when the chips are down? Is Kirk Cousins going to go in there and have a big game? If he does, it's huge, but I'm not sure that he will. Right, and I would really be worried if Peters and Tlaib are there, but I do think they have an advantage at the wider if Peters and Tlaib are there, but I do think they have an advantage at the wider if position were there, but I do think they have an advantage at the wider if position if if. if, 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 if 